Hello, and welcome back to the Brothers Book Club podcast. We're here with our Penguin Little Black Classics review collection, and we are on episode 53 today. Had to double check that number just to make sure I had it correct. It feels pretty surreal to be past even the halfway marker. Uh, We are here today with a poetry collection by Christina Rossetti called Goblin Market, which to be fair is actually the name of a poem. Isn't that's not the name of, you know, the entirety of the poems or anything. Joining me today on the pod for the review is frequent contributor and just co-host at this point, Amanda. (laughs) Hello. <laughs> yeah, let's get. I'm sent. Uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I'm sending you your little desk uh, title stand. What Sweet. are those called? Yeah, we can. You can put that wherever you're potting uh, at at the moment. Um, you know, we're both in quarantine. Who knows where you're potting at? I'm potting for my desk. My but, my my office as well. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Well, we'll get you. We'll get you a little desk sign for you and no one else to observe. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's mostly just about confidence building. But anyway, welcome back, Amanda. Glad to have you for some poetry. I don't know if you've reviewed poetry with us yet on the in the little black classics have you i have not this is my first one with the poetry fantastic and i know based on your reaction to last week's review show that you have read this author before yes i I read actually um goblin market before i took a class when i was getting my master's um in victorian women's uh poetry so great okay rossetti um elizabeth barrett browning uh Letitia Landon, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Barrett Browning sounds very familiar to me, but it's another one where I don't think I could pull an example out of my head. I'd have to go to like my anthologies or whatever. She's even more well known than Rossetti. She was actually, Rossetti was like her successor. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So Barrett Browning, her husband was Robert uh, Browning. Uh, oh, okay. Also- sure poet uh but elizabeth barrett browning she wrote the the poem that everybody knows how do i love thee let me count the ways oh yeah okay mm-hmm. great great made its way into many probably pop culture references but that sounds about right yep oh excellent okay yeah and i had never encountered rossetti or at least again if it if it was or if i did encounter her, it was in passing only so this was pretty new to me um, not the first time we've covered poetry on the podcast surely but there, when i went back over to look at the list of things we've reviewed through this little black classic set it was actually less poetry than i remembered i, I would have guessed it had been i don't know of the 53 maybe 10 to 15 and i think it was only like five or seven so it's been you know poetry light relatively so anyway, you don't feel bad or, or left out or anything. We haven't covered as much as it seems. Um, this is, of course, a review episode. So we'll be kind of giving general impressions and doing our normal format for now. And again, we're covering Christina Rossetti's Goblin Market. We'll begin as we normally do with one sentence simile reviews of the poetry collection. Amanda, would you start us off this week with your simile review? Sure. I said reading this is like reading a blog. You get all the feels and insights into the one person, the writer, um, but she's taken the time. It's not like a, a diary or, uh, per se, but you know, you mm-hmm. take the time because you're going to actually post it. You take the time to pretty it up, but you still see the person and, and the, the insights of, of that particular person. It's a fascinating comparison because it, it reveals very quickly uh, both your and my age. I think blog is a concept. I don't even do people still blog. I feel That's like the blo- <laughs> right. It, so it's like you and I perhaps remember a golden age of like some of my favorite writers uh, from you know mid two thousands or so, like my college age. I found their blogs before anything else, and then it's like as they got jobs, I followed them and 
Um, there were websites that they published at. I feel like there was one called like the Owl or something like that. There were a bunch of writers whose blogs I've, you know, I, I had a soccer blog I followed, then he got a job writing. And it's just those connections were kind of flying around like that in the, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, 2000s. And then, yeah, these days, I feel like blogs are dead, but you know, people do like we're doing people podcasts a lot more now. That's a much more popular medium than it used to be and do other kinds of things. TikTok. I mean, do we have to bring this to TikTok? Is that what we should be doing right now? (laughs) Are we wasting our time potting? Are you and I, should we be doing synchronized dances on like a video format or what are we doing? Oh man, I think that we should try one, right? What would be a good dance for Goblin Market? (laughs) <laughs> I think, I think, well, the, the sad truth of it or the honest answer, and I think I've had just enough beer. Um, there's some, there's some, uh, behind the scenes production, uh, insight for the listeners, <laughs> but I think I've just had enough beer to give the honest answer, which is like, it would be the really demonic and like assaulting frolicking of the goblins in the goblin market. Yes. It would be some kind of like really around the campfire, like everyone's in loincloth, like just has you know we we just ate some kind of animal fresh kill and like we're covered in blood kind of shit or i guess fruit juice or you know we'll get into that but i love it yes so i think (laughs) that it would be it would have to be something um something simplistic uh but kind of reaching into something primal not not having too much rhythm but but some you know and and definitely the music would be kind of spare and maybe brooding aggressive anyway that that i think would be probably the most fitting thing and for that conversation alone that we just had i think it shows that we have no place on the tiktok ecosystem <laughs> yeah, i think we're <laughs> i think we were just actually i could hear my account getting banned on my phone from here uh my phone's <laughs> muted but i think i can hear us being removed slowly from the platform <laughs> Uh, so anyway, I, it's just funny to hear you talk about blogs that way because I think now it's almost a pejorative in a way where it's yeah. like, oh, you're just, you know, you blog or whatever, sports blog. Um, but there was a time when it was a bit of a golden age. I remember it. I, yeah, I re, uh, writers that I currently enjoy still ca- kind of came up that way. So I, I get it. And, and it's certainly distinct from a diary. I get what you mean there that it's. Yeah. Yeah. You, you button yourself up a little bit or you button up the shirt a little bit. You make it a bit more formal. My uh, simile, I think, is a little less kind because uh, I think my reaction was also a little less kind to the poetry, um, but it's not negative. I wrote that it, reading this poetry is like having a passing glance and a smile at a person you find attractive. One of those, you know, flash, flash in the pan moments in real life back before coronavirus when you actually saw people. I don't. I mean, I, I still go and walks in the park. I guess this could happen to me at the park, but otherwise, it's not like I'm seeing any other human stranger. But anyway, it, it, it reminds me of something that is memorable. I think, and sometimes we we read a lot into those moments, or we. I think movies have taught us to believe those moments are fate or destiny or, you know, romantic, um, kind of like, you know, as part of a romantic journey or something. But even though you might have that heart flutter, I think it's most of those moments just go away. And I I had, I think, the same reaction to these poems. I had those heart flutters, you know, and I had the moments of uh, real insight and enjoyment. I don't know if any of them will stick with me, though, and maybe we can dig into the specifics and find out, I think. Of the of the poets, I still remember fondly, and there aren't many. It's not a, not a type of writing I really enjoyed that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'll remember hers, but you know, we'll find out in our discussion. So that's that's my simile. Yeah, I think that's a great simile because uh, I when you said that we were doing Rossetti, I was like, 
mm-hmm. man, I think I have her poetry book. And I took a picture and sent you like, it's a tome, right? It's, it's huge. It's a huge it was, man. Because I got the yep. complete works. Yep. Um, she's a prolific writer. But what I immediately thought of was not her. I was like, Rossetti, I know that I studied her. But man, I remember from that class, Barrett Browning, and mm-hmm. she was an amazing poet. So it actually made me think of Barrett Browning instead. And I was uh, okay. And she yeah. and Barrett Browning is not in the Penguins collection, if I'm not mistaken. No, no, not that I remember, honestly. Though in the back half, I, I can't say I've memorized all the names and you know and whatnot. But no, not that I can recall. Mm-hmm. So this is who they chose. I feel like it's been they've they've done a pretty eclectic job, and I I, I think so far I've, I've admired the balance. Though, as we've commented on recent episodes, like no zero African American writers, which is ludicrous. Now that that's like a right. huge oversight that I had not given much mind to because they it's been pretty international, so it's been fun for me to jump around to. I don't know, like I, I definitely hadn't read any Tang Dynasty poetry before that I could remember. So, in, in a sense, it was like. Yeah, I felt like we were getting a pretty interesting glimpse into this international set. But there's some weird blind spots in here, too. Yeah. Uh, noteworthy ones. And it's also very British. It's very Anglo-focused in mm-hmm. my mind, which, you know, fitting. It, I think on the back of my copies, it does print the the cost in, a, in the pound symbol. So I think this did come out of, like, their British or English publishing arm. So, uh... yeah, I think uh, that makes sense when I think of it that way. Yeah. Let's jump to connections and find some relevance here. Um, I'll start with mine, I suppose, since I made you go first. Yeah. The connection that I drew on, and maybe this is just, this could just be a very biased one, because I think a lot of poetry that I've enjoyed, including actually, you know who I gave a three to that was poetry is Walt Whitman. I, I do really like Walt Whitman. Oh. I think a lot of poetry I'm drawn to is just centered on the natural world and, mm-hmm. you know, humankind's relationship to nature. I don't think it has to be appreciative or, or fawning. Like I remember really liking also Herman Melville's, it wasn't poetry, but his stuff in this collection too. I remember I gave that a three strong recommendation and it was like, that was like nature's horror and, you know, the, the great fear of the unknown and like the dread of ocean traveling and all that stuff. But anyway, I think this uh, collection does have, I think it has a bit of a balance, like even in kind of the same poems, you've got like some kind of peaceful glens or there's these, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, like a, like a peaceful clearing where there are animals frolicking. Very and pastoral. Are, yeah, it's very pastoral. Things are in balance and it's, and you know, you're, you're brought into the warm hug and an embrace of nature and there's birds singing in a chorus and yada, yada. Mm-hmm. I think though, there are some, also some parts that kind of twist that around as well. So I think, if you're interested in nature poetry, it wasn't I was I wouldn't say it's the dominant th- kind of theme or topic of this collection, but that is a connection that I at least appreciated when it came up. And even in the main poem, the Goblin Market one, th- there are those components too, and there there's that component too in there. So yeah, definitely, I, nature is one of the the major themes in uh, a lot of her poetry mm. uh, because of the time that she was writing. Right, this is the Victorian era, mm-hmm. and. Um, so it was a common theme and she, I think she does a pretty good job. There's a couple of poems in there where her descriptions of nature are actually pretty unique and, and her language is yeah, really nice. Yeah. So yeah, I enjoyed that connection as well. Yeah, for sure. And how about you? What did you find? Any direct relevance? Yeah. Uh, so the, there's the way that uh, Penguin had picked the the poems from Rossetti. It's like, it's mm-hmm. not just one theme. There's like so many different themes that you can pick yeah, from each of yeah. the poems um so there was no cohesive theme so you can you can pretty much just pick up 
the the penguins version of Rossetti's poems and kind of right. you know run with whatever idea you feel like running with um but mm -hmm. the way that i read her uh poems i guess it's it's left over actually from the class that i took uh, where I studied some of her poems is right. um, I was focusing mostly on um, female sexuality and female gender roles. Mm -hmm. um, so we see some of the like, oh, especially in uh, Goblin Market, right, where it's uh, female sexuality. There's a lot of like depiction of like the the golden hair, and she's like, um, it's it's nighttime, and these men are giving her strange fruit, and she's she's seduced by their words and all this stuff, right? right? So it's very right. sexual, and in the end, she's punished. So it's that Victorian ideal of uh, women being punished uh, for having any kind of like sexual identity. Yeah, being tempted. Yeah, and with her sister. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to like jump to the. I'm always hesitant to just give a, a quote or a thought that would imply that we're jumping to the end. But I don't think any of the poems reached the heights of that poem, which was in my collection. The very first one was mm -hmm. the goblin market, mm -hmm. um, which I found incredibly lucid and really potent. And then none of the other ones I thought were as good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that one had that, those themes come through. Yeah. With extreme clarity and hopefully in our quotes, we can dig into it. I also had to then actively stop myself because I literally wanted to pick all the quotes from that one poem, which I just <laughs> did not think for a review show or review focus show was doing literally any diligence to the collection that we were handed. Like I, <laughs> as much as I would have liked to have done that, I tried to avoid it. That's so funny because I knew that um, Goblin Market is her most well-known work. So I purposefully mm -hmm, yeah. avoided picking any quotes from that. I have one, and I'll 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 dig into it happily. Um, do you want me to start with the quotes yeah, today? Then sure. uh, yeah, we may as well. Again, I I thought I really did love that poem, and <laughs> coming out of this, uh, even though my simile at the beginning maybe hinted otherwise, I think I will remember that poem. I I was quite struck by a lot of it. Um, the quote I chose from it was on my page twelve. So kind of it's a longer poem, a narrative. It's a narrative poem, and um, so this is the quote. I guess I'll read it first, though. I, it's going to be a little Dr. Susie in my reading, but that's okay. Um, I, ch I chose it because I did like it, so I'll uh, dig in. This is when there she's the the second sister, the more uh, chaste sister, is being like attacked by the goblins, the men, you know, they're or goblin men, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, it says, "Laughed every goblin when they spied her peeping, came towards her hobbling, flying, running, leaping." Puffing and blowing, chuckling, clapping, crowing, clucking and gobbling, mopping and mowing, full of airs and graces. And I think it's it's indicative of a style that I like when it's done sparingly. And I think in that poem, she does it sparingly enough to it's like you overload with repetition, like repetition, one of those stylistic things that. It's almost so common that it means nothing, you know? It's almost like you have to do repetition and or repetition for what. Mm -hmm. I think in this case, it's it's as e obvious as sensory, and it's clearly given to the goblins who are like the nefarious, you know, they're like the antagonistic figures in the poem. But mm -hmm. I, I just, there are so many verb pairings there that are logical, but then some are bizarre, like yeah. mopping and mowing. Like, yeah. I, I, I think I like that. It makes it a little more ominous when you get some of that confusion in there. Mm -hmm. I think also I really liked the twist at the end to come off of those, those verbs, right? You're assaulted with all these repetitive verbs. And then it says full of airs and graces, which grants their characters so much more dignity than the verbs would have indicated. So yeah. it's like, it, it, it really leaves the reader, I think with a clear sense of like, um, 
again, that, that they're nefarious, that they're an, an evil figure or evil figures almost, an evil force. Mm-hmm. But also then it's you're wondering who's interpreting them as having grace or like or being graceful or like, you know, delivering with the mannerisms of a noble person or royalty or whatever. Maybe that's part of the criticism, I suppose. But I, yeah, the the entire string of those verbs, and I think it it serves both the reader who's skimming, honestly, and the one who digs in and like assesses the verbs as pairs, for example. Like when you mm-hmm. compare them against each other, there's some, and there's some like alliteration in there and that kind of, and like rhyming and stuff, um, which the poetic elements, maybe I shouldn't uh, dismiss <laughs> with that tone of voice because I, you know, they're important too. I just, they're, they're right. not the thing I grab onto the most, but anyway, no, I thought, yeah, especially those final two as a pair. Um, anytime you use gobbling as a verb, you know, I'm kind of into it. Um, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I just, those, that line really stayed with me, I, I think. And it indicates the kind of effective characterization she gets across. Yeah. And, uh, what I was noticing too, as I was reading over this quote in particular, uh, you had talked about like how you mm-hmm. enjoyed the nature aspects of her poems. This yeah, yeah. one also, you can see like a progression. It says, you know, she's they're starting off hobbling. So you have the elderly, it's hobbling, then it's flying. So you see a contrast there, flying, running, yeah. leaping. So you go from elderly to like youthful, puffing and blowing, which makes me think of um, the wolf, right? Huff yeah. and puff. Dragons and too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and this is meant to be kind of a fairy tale like poem. Right, right. Um, yeah. And yeah. then chuckling, clapping, crowing. So, crowing, clucking, gobbling. There's that nature. There's that animalistic aspect yeah, right. of right, right, right. of the the men there. So, I like that progression of kind of like hitting each of the major things that that um that she's writing about there i thought that was interesting yeah yeah and like i said yeah no that's perfect and like i said it you know if every other stanza was that way it would be like this this is like i've had middle schoolers who write like that and it's in it's incoherent you're like man you can't use (laughs) what are you doing stop doing that like you can't you're not allowed uh writing works but then again in poetry everything is allowed in in a very fun way Yeah. yeah i thought that really worked for me in terms of characterization in terms of the the tone it sets and the cloud it casts over the poem and, and it gives it really a creepy feeling, which I think is intentional. Yep. Um, I, I it took all of my power not to pull two more quotes from that poem <laughs> that are just sexual innuendo. So aggressive that I was like difficult to read even. <laughs> and that could, I, when I was reading it, honestly, I almost wanted to pull them uh, just so I could do a, a sanity check with you to make sure I'm not <laughs> losing my mind when like, <laughs> their fruit juices and balls are like dripping all over her face. And I'm like, yeah. am I just, am I overreading this or if, no. it, <laughs> if this is like <laughs> intense as I believe it is, it doesn't seem to be uh, veiled in any particular way. Um, so anyway, there, yeah, that poem I think had such an intensity right off the bat that uh, I don't know if the other quotes will hold up as much. Did you, did you pull anything from that one or you could give another one? I did not pull, I, I purposefully avoided um, pulling from that one because I figured um, if anyone has read Rossetti, it's, it's going to be Goblin Market. So yeah, I went sure. with ones that I had not even read, but that I, of course, yeah. I, I liked. Um, there were two actually mm-hmm. that I really enjoyed. Um, and one of them was the Queen of Hearts and the other was an Old World Thicket. I, I really enjoyed both of those, but of the two, I mm-hmm. really, really liked an old world thicket. I thought that was very well written. 
Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know you said you didn't really care for any of the other ones, but I really enjoyed this one. Um, I think that one had incredible stanzas. Yes. And then it just it didn't have a narrative uh, thread like the Goblin Market did for me. And maybe mm-hmm. that was because my own that could be my own inattent like that could be on me. That could be my own inattentiveness, but. Yeah, it had stanzas. Anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut your quote off. No, it, yeah. I don't think that it was meant to be narrative. I, I think that that right, particular right. poem, it was more about um, the relationship between like, well, I think that it was a sense of um, her depression. She she suffered from depression in her life and her father did okay. as well. Yeah. So uh, we see what it's like, what she feels like with the depression. And then she uses nature to both contrast as well as kind of highlight and enhance that depression and then at the end i didn't care for the ending as much just because it's it turns into kind of a religious um poem at the end but a couple of them do as well it seemed that that came through quite clearly actually that she she was was pretty super religious uh through most of her life um i don't know if you read any of the wikipedia page about her um, but Actually, she, none. I, I did. Yeah, I looked up one thing on Wikipedia, which I'll explain later. But no, I didn't do any research. Yeah, she. So I, I looked it up because uh, one of the poems I was like, oh, is she like, did she not ever marry? And no, she didn't. She was she had been proposed oh, okay. to three different times. And the first she was engaged, but then she broke it off because the guy decided to go back to being Catholic. And she was um, the grief. Church of England. Uh, and okay. so, and then the second yeah. one, uh, also because of religion, and the third one also because of religion. So wow, <laughs> yeah. so no no fruits then, huh? Yeah, no no, no fruits. fruits, no ju- no fruits, no juices. <laughs> uh, I can I can see why the goblins come off the way they do in the poem. Then I mean, certainly things are clicking into place a lot more clearly than they were before. Yeah. Well, what about um? What quote from the thick? Let's jump into the yeah. thicket one then, since that one you enjoyed. So, uh, the other poems were pretty short, but an old world thicket is is her mm-hmm. other longer one, right? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Goblin Market's the the longest one, and then I think Old World Thicket is the second longest one, and the others are pretty much like just one pagers. Um, at least in my mm-hmm. copy, they are. Um, yeah. In, same, in, same. In my tome. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, t- the ten inch, the ten inch thick one. You mean? Yeah. yeah the, the door stopper. The, it is definitely, yeah, an effective door stopper. Yeah. Um, so the old world thicket is about like her describing her um, depression and then eventually coming to terms with it and and embracing um, what I think of as like peace with nature, but also peace through. Uh, hmm. her religion and and the hopes of like a heaven and all that stuff, right? Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so I chose um, lines forty one through forty five, and it says, "Each sore defeat of my defeated life faced and outfaced me in that bitter hour, and turned to yearning palsy all my power and all my peace to strife, self stabbing self with keen lack pity knife." So I thought that that was just a really great insight into how she was feeling. I especially liked the last line, which was self stabbing self with keen lack pity knife, right? It's, yeah. it's, she's just yeah. attacking herself and it's this cycle uh, for her. And I thought that was really well put and you don't, it's something that I hadn't heard anybody say before. It was, I thought a unique way of putting that feeling of just like, I can't get past myself. Yeah. And I wonder when I and I think I've covered this before, but something weird in my brain like 
just does this rewriting editing thing when I'm reading fiction or poetry. I don't know why it does this, but I'm reading it now and I'm like, look at that like lack pity, the little combo modifier. Like most people now would say like pitiless, I guess, right? Yeah. And so it's just sometimes when you dig into these older, older texts, even not that much older, like even a hundred years older, you know, 150, whatever, mm-hmm. not saying go read Beowulf or, you know, what have you, but you, you will see that how much <laughs> the construction and, and just like little things like that have changed and, it can kind of open your your mind in terms of the breadth of the language and just, I don't know, just the fun ways you can construct things and the different flow you can get out of words. And anyway, yeah, no, yeah. I like it. Yeah, with, with poetry too. I mean, the whole point is to kind of play with language, right? You have yeah, yeah. free license to do whatever, like just play with it. That's that's one of the things that I like about poetry actually is is that you don't have to necessarily follow any grammatical rules. You can make up your own words. You can make up your own similes and metaphors and be just wacky and I love it. <laughs> it's funny. She in in a similar stanza in that one. I'm just going to jump in now. I'm changing yeah. up my quotes. Pulling a pulling a audible here. <laughs> There, she does a lot with personification in this one, and mm-hmm. I don't know if the analysis for me would go deeper than like nature can be ominous, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I, you know, obviously there'd be a better reading than that, but I think that's how it comes across. There's like she wrote, and all their shadows swayed in breaths of air that rustled and that played, mm-hmm. uh, which with the rhyme I think would really do a lot for me. Again, rhyming is very tough. I really have a hard this poem actually. So that's a funny thing I can mention. I noticed the rhyming in this poem for whatever reason, which yeah. then you know I start to I start to like draw away from the to push the text away from me when that I'm starting to really feel it. And in Goblin Market there was tons, but I I didn't notice it, and I wish I had a better like metacognitive insight into why that I do that sometimes and don't others. But there there's that there's an entire stanza about like this water and the drip of widening water seemed to weep. All yep. fountains sobbed and gurgled as they sprang somewhere. A cataract cried out in its leap sheer down a headlong steep again, minus the rhyme for, for me and just how that comes across in my ear and my head. I think it's yeah, really incredible personification just across the board. Yeah. And and if you wanted to get analytical about like, mm-hmm. uh, because it's poetry and of course you're supposed to analyze. I would like to. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I'll raise my hand. Yeah, that sounds nice. <laughs> go <Uh-oh>. go ahead. <laughs> well, at the, the beginning of this poem, um, actually nature is serving to kind of irritate her because she's in such a terrible mood. But nature mm-hmm. is this right. beautiful thing. And she's saying that like all these pretty things and all this wonderful um, beauty beauty all around her is just actually like so annoying because I feel like crap right now. And why Mm, are these birds singing? And then like when nature then becomes this like, uh, another thing that I, I liked is high over all cloud thunders gave a clang, such universal sound of lamentation. I love that. That um, then nature then becomes this threatening force that mirrors her um, her feelings at that time. And then after the storm, both she and nature, right, weather the storm. And then there there's the sheep, which is um, symbolic of that's got to be some Christianity. Christianity. Exactly. Yeah. So there's the the weathering the storm and then there's paradise after, right? But the yeah, the weathering yeah. of the storm, the 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 nature aspect I feel like is um it's tied to uh how she feels but also it's like kind of uh a comment on how um one can view nature um and how nature is unique to each person depending on like how they're feeling. Right. So right. I, I, 
yeah anyway well and it's and it's juxtapositions uh, all over the place like i think you pointed out very rightly which i think in general makes for an interesting way to just approach a poem and and constructing a poem i think i was gonna pull out something on 27 i'm gonna skip that now but the only reason i was gonna pull that quote is to show that she had some kind of cliched images in the in one stanza but then the very next one there's just these really unique images flying around and like descriptions of things that you wouldn't expect and so i think her poems have a, t- a bit of a range then even within mm-hmm. them like a bit of a tonal range which i think is only to be admired i want to quickly shout out the babylon uh, poem mm-hmm. that was my second favorite i think other oh. than the goblin market um the reason being by the end of it it seemed like an obvious condemnation like there's a conflagration of this person who is yeah like lit on fire because of her sinfulness yeah <laughs> but i just admired it all the more then because at that point with the, with the christian themes being so overt yeah uh, i kind of rebe- you know i do my job and i then rebel and be like no that she seems cool man like yeah, yeah. lit her on fire it's <laughs> it's like powerful um it's not it's, she's not dying she's like you know in a powerful blaze but anyway, there was a quote about her, um, the I believe called the Great Babylonian or the Great Babylon, something Babylon like that. Babylon the Great. Babylon the Great. There you go. Um, on 28 for me, it said, her heart lusts not for love, but through and through for blood as spotted panther lusts in lair. No wine is in her cup, but filth is there, unutterable with plagues hit out of view. And yeah, I think it's. I think it's a nice little twister inversion. It also associates kind of lust with death and mm-hmm. lust with like bl- like blood and lust into bloodlust, maybe a certain combination there. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the wine in terms of Christian imagery or like Christian symbols, yep. wine is blood. And so that's an interesting little play too, where it's like, well, who's blo- she's not after Jesus's blood, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> she's after some the human blood. Um, you know, she is part of the plague, another biblical reference that we could dig into. Yeah. I just think it was a very rewarding, very brief read, like a two stanza one. Mm-hmm. And 100%, I will say this, I, I did not know who that was at all. Like, I had to Google that one. So I think like a lot of this older poetry, if you're not willing to meet the poet at least a quarter of the way or whatever, if you're not willing to do any work, yeah, you might just read that poem and be like, who the hell is this lady? And then yeah. move on and be like, I don't know, whatever. This means nothing. But if you just Google for, you know, tw- a minute, um, she's from the book of Revelation. It's a reference to like a harlot or some kind of woman of the night or maybe uh, somebody sleeping with too many people. And so it's commentary on on lust. And then now, like once you know that one reference, which I knew nothing of, I I read the book of Revelation. I don't remember what was in there. It was crazy shit. A lot of numbers. I remember that. It was a lot of like seven <laughs> demons and eight doors. And there's like five wigs or, you know, angels wings or whatever. Um but if you're just willing to go that little distance, that then it becomes a fascinating read. We're like, oh, this is her. This is probably commentary on like sexual interest and desire, and mm-hmm. this is this is the language she uses to complicate it. And this is her obviously very distanced relationship to it, and kind of this. I think it was almost her most potent. Um, I put like work per word, if that makes sense. So it's mm-hmm. like on a per word basis. I think that poem, I found it to be the most intense. It was also maybe the most violent. So there you go. It's maybe simplicity on my part but yeah that and the goblin market ones i found pretty intense really intriguing um some of the other ones not as much this one also has a very simplistic rhyme scheme yeah yeah it didn't bother me that's another and strange too even in the quote i read right because it was which ones it was layer and no what were the yeah layer and there it's like yeah that's and through and view oh yeah that's true that's true yeah, I can't. I wish um, maybe we'll have to rewind and I'll have to go revisit the Keats episode. That was when it 
it hit me so negatively when we did that review of the the Keats collection, The Eve of St. Agnes, which she has a poem about or she references. Yeah. Uh, she's an allusion to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, it, it hit me so negatively, that that collection. That it was a one for sure. And I just remember thinking that I'd never I'd never been so down on, on poetry. You know, I'd never disliked it so much. Um, yeah. And again, I wish I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to on the spot here improvise a deep analytical insight into why sometimes it bothers me and why sometimes it does not. I think brevity is a, an important thing. Mm-hmm. Like the Keats poem, the Eve of St. Agnes was like 30 pages or, tw- you know, 20 to 30 pages. Um, I think sustained ABAB rhyme over that period of time, just, it really just feels um, like you're going in a loop, like you're trapped or something mm-hmm. rhetorically. Like they can't, it's like they're stuck in an idea and they can't get out of the idea and you're just stuck there with them. Now, granted, that's just uh, we're talking now at this point, just like transgenerational stylistic choices, right? Like, I also don't, um, I don't know, I don't do cave paintings either. <laughs> it's like I don't. <laughs> it could just be some kind of like it. Not it's not that it's inferior; it's that it's foreign. I, I suppose it's just like it's a style so lost to time that it just feels uh, grating to me. I suppose it's interesting because to have a sustained rhyme scheme like that is actually pretty difficult. Like you have to really plan it out, especially if it's in any kind of meter as well. It's like, I mean, it's difficult. (laughs) It's funny too. Cause I like as someone who took, you know, I did my required Shakespeare class in college and really enjoyed it. Like in an unironic, uh, trying not to be an asshole pretentious way. Like I think it's, it's the quality people speak of and it's worthy of praise and study. Like I came out of that class just thinking like, yes, that's it's, we read all the tragedies. They're fascinating. There's like a million ideas in there. It's fascinating. Yeah. But at the same time, like when I was reading the Shakespeare, I can assure you a hundred percent guarantee in all the papers I had to do in that class of all the analysis I had to think through. I never once thought about meter, not literally one time. I just don't care. Like, it's just not, it's crazy that a person could think that way and process the rhetoric or the language that way and like mm-hmm. plan. But I, I am 100% certain that not one time did I put in some kind of analytical point to drive home an idea where it's like, oh, and then check the meter on this line. Like, look at the, there's a pause here. And then a, not one time, cause I, my brain does not process language that way at all. Like not, I mean, it doesn't syllables, right? So it's like, right. I know syllables exist, but I, that is like a level of planning. I guess that's where I hit my threshold of like, I, it, it's admirable that he was able to do it, you know, and that he kept a flow in that way. But there's no way I'm going to tie that into like some analysis about feminism in Macbeth. Like, no way. Zero percent <laughs> chance. Zero percent. <laughs> like, I'm already grappling with a thousand illusions and similes and mm. puns. I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Like, I just, I am certain I never once did. At any rate, that's a very long digression just to say, I, yeah, I just don't approach poetry. Like, I can do the rhyme. The rhyme thing is so obvious to me that you kind of have to grapple with it. Um, but I really draw the line on meter. I'm not sure if you find meter. Do you find meter interesting to consider when you're reading? Uh, no. The only time that I would find it interesting is if it breaks at some point. Right, right, right. The other thing with meter, though, and let's not undersell this. Brian and I have talked about this, too, on the poetry episodes. It, it, you would know it if you read it out loud, but who does that? We don't read poetry out loud anymore. Right. Like I encourage people to do it when they're, if you can, if you're you know feeling not self-conscious or whatever. But it's it's just such a foreign way to read for people now that to read a poem out loud to yourself like who that's a hard sell I think for for most readers nowadays like to convince someone to do that you know at home and be excited about it to like try and hear the the 
you know, the rhymes and the the meter. Anyway, sorry, a longer digression than I planned. But you mentioning <laughs> meter really brought that back to me. We're just like doing that in AP Lang or AP Lit or whatever it was. I just remember thinking like, damn, we're really going to have to like authors for hundreds of years were doing that with such meticulous care. Right, right. Not really. I mean, yeah, they were, they were considering it, but it's not the crux and foundational piece of their work. It's not right. some, it's not some magical analytical key that once you know what a troche is that you're like, Oh shit, man. Like I, I can do Macbeth now. <laughs> it's like, that doesn't, that's not even close. It's like, that has nothing to do with anything basically. Anyway, maybe that's just my own readings and bias. What about, um, cause I have gone on far too long. Here. You really <laughs> hit something and you struck my nerve. Um, <laughs> so the, you're welcome. Soapbox, soapbox episode now, uh, let's go over some other quotes though. I don't want to transition out of this too fast because I want you to get at least a couple more quotes in. Any yeah. other ones that stuck with you? Sure. Uh, so the other poem that I really enjoyed, um, was called the queen of hearts. And I really liked this one because it was so playful. All of her other ones have like yeah. a particular purpose where it's talking about some kind of serious subject matter, but this one was just her being fun. I having fun, like, Right. So, so I really enjoyed this poem and I thought that it was nice that they, that the editors included this poem in there to give kind of like a, a little bit of a break uh, to the reader. So you can be like, Oh, I don't have to overanalyze this. I can just enjoy and like take it right. for what it is. Yeah. Yep. Um, so what I pulled was, um, so she's uh, in this poem, she's kind of like, why do you always get the queen of hearts? It's no matter what you always get the queen of hearts. How is that? Um, they're playing obviously a card game. So, um, I, yeah, right. the lines that I chose were from uh, line 17 through 24. And it says, I cheated once I made a private notch in heart queens back and kept a lynx eyed watch yet such another back deceived me in the pack. The queen of clubs assumed by arts unknown, an imitative dint that seemed my own. This notch, not of my doing misled me to my ruin. Mm-hmm. So I really like that because you have some hyperbole, right? <laughs> like misled me to my ruin. It sounds tragic, but it's just, I mean, she lost a game, right? It's not we've that all big been, of a We've deal. all been in. Now, granted, again, swap card games for like board games or video games. We've been there. Respect. <laughs> Respect to Rosetti across the timeline or across time periods. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. And, uh, and then there's some personification um, where the the queen of clubs is the one tricking her. Right. Uh, so it's just, it's just nice. It's playful. It's light. And we get to see a different side of Rossetti's uh, writing in yeah. this particular yeah. poem that I just really enjoyed. I really appreciated it. This is how I know I'm wildly hypocritical because I had the same reaction. Like, Oh, this is like, it's goofy and fun. It's like, she's probably teasing a friend or, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, anyway, you nailed it. But then when I read it, I had the opposite reaction, which was like, can't we get back to that gobble market? Like, that shit was crazy. Like, <laughs> that was like wild. That was like so intense. And so at every line, just like I felt like I was just getting jabbed, you know, and then to arrive at that was just kind of, I don't know, it felt limp. But no, I think you nailed it. It was it was way more playful. It was more just fun. It didn't seem to have it doesn't have some crucial subtext or something. You know, I'm right. sure it has a, a bit. Um no, yeah, I think that's a great one. Any other quotes you want before we jump to the literary corner? Sure. So I've been like really positive so far. Um, but one of the yeah, things yeah. that um, I, I noticed in some of her writing was just like there's sometimes a, a change in uh, her tone that just seems to come like out of the blue. 
It, yeah, they, yeah, she can whip it back and forth. Like I, I think we had mentioned that earlier, but no, that's worth saying again. Yeah, it's, yeah, intense. So uh, I, I pulled in particular from uh, her poem "A Pause of Thought," mm-hmm. um, which is this is the poem too that made me look up to see if she had ever been married because I, I the way that mm-hmm. I read this poem was that um, it says. Um, that she's like searching for something and that she's waiting for something in her hope of youth and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, it sounded like she was waiting for marriage. She was waiting to mm-hmm. uh, get married and it's like hopeless at a particular time. You know, she's no longer young and all this other stuff. And, um, and then at the end, the last stanza is just like completely a, a change in voice. So I'll just read that right. very quickly. I'll read the previous stanza and then the last stanza. Um, sometimes I said, it is an empty name I long for. To a name, why should I give the peace of all the days I have to live? Yet gave it all the same. Alas, thou foolish one, alike unfit for healthy joy and salutary pain, thou knowest the chase useless and again turnest to follow it. Those two stanzas, it sounds like two completely different poems. Yeah, it's in that turn towards hopelessness or right. kind of like a, you have a destiny of, of uselessness or a destiny of hopelessness there in front of you. Yeah. Um, you're, yeah, like stuck on some kind of track in that way. It's, yeah, yeah I remember, I kind of remember that final line too, but I, I agree. I bet my reaction to that poem was just like, huh? And then I probably moved on. Like, it, I remember being, you know, it has a striking ending and it certainly is in it, its pessimism or whatever is, um, seems kind of intense. Yeah. Now that you read it back, but no, I, and to pick up on that, I, I'm not even sure I picked up on that tonal swap when I read it, but it's certainly there. And it's different too, because the rest of the poem, she's saying, I did this. I, 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 and then in this one right. it's thou. And yeah, it's, it's a change in language. It's a change in, in voice and it's a change in tone. It's just out of the blue for me. And I mean, I think that it's supposed to be like, god's admonition right like why are Mm, you so upset about something when you know that like later uh pain is passing but you know heaven is rewarding or or something right so that's how i kind of read it but i was just like man if you would have cut that stand last stands out i think that the poem would have sounded better like right (laughs) yeah just ended at the previous one (laughs) or yeah or maybe we could make that case for coherence you know that you and i are both very fond of we've talked on previous podcasts before and yeah yeah i think and i don't even mind having that kind of having a a rough juxtaposition kind of put in your face like that but yeah it was i think it worked in goblin market and and not not where not anywhere else that well maybe because i don't know maybe she had more time to explore it in that in that poem yeah that's true let's jump to the literary corner the educational segment of the pod where we attempt to impart some kind of literary knowledge to you the listeners i'll do mine first because it's very brief it's an incantation which i'll admit i opened the first page i jumped to when i was just flipping through the literary dictionary that was the first page i jumped to and i immediately read it and thought you know the goblin market did feel like that at times like they (laughs) like they were performing some kind of ritual uh so anyway an incantation is a formulaic use of words to produce a magical effect and to create an intensifying emotional temperature 
The words may be chanted or spoken. It is very common in primitive literatures and is much used by sorcerers and witches and also for ritual purposes as in a charm. I just thought, just to get back to the quote I pulled from the Goblin Market, it just felt that way to me. Like yeah. the narrator or even the goblins were trying to like entrance the, the characters. Obviously, they're trying to lure them, right? But right. their repetitive way to talk about their fruits, the way that the way the adjectives fly around and the verbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just felt that. It felt like reading an incantation to me. And it felt kind of like it lulled you into their, I don't know, their like lust and deception. Yeah, that's perfect because it ties into the fairy tale story, right? So it makes it even mm-hmm. more like yeah. a fairy tale. Yeah, it certainly felt that way. How about you this week for literary corner, Amanda? Anything? Yeah, sure. I um I chose the word allegory, which is the expression mm-hmm. of truths or generalizations about human existence by means of symbolic fictional figures and their actions. In other words, it, there's a dip, deeper meaning to that story, <laughs> right? That's, of course, that's allegory. Yeah. yeah, it's like a it's a sustained comparison, is how I used to put it to students. Perfect. Like it's it's just a comparison that goes on for a very long time. Yeah. It's not a sentence. It's like I wrote this novel. The whole thing is a comparison. Right. By the way. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. So I thought I thought of that for a Goblin Market, obviously. Um, so mm-hmm, where yeah. Goblin Market is um, kind of like in a fairy tale setting, where it is about uh, not just you know these goblins who are um, feeding fruit to one female and then forcing fruit onto another female. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's actually yeah, literally you know, that's just literally what happens too that's not it's even literally yeah. what happens in the story Re- but... read into that what you will and must but <laughs> exactly because yep. remember it's an allegory <laughs> sure i think i think it shows flashes of <laughs> i don't know, of other things <laughs> so yeah that's what i i chose let, let me just borrow right off that then to transition into the review section. Yeah. We'll do our normal two parts. We'll do the so what's good about it segment, and then we'll do the official ratings. I'm just going to do both of mine at the same time then because they're they inform each other very deeply here. Uh, the Goblin Market is what's good or Goblin Market, I think. No, the, I don't know why I keep putting it in front of it. Um, I think that is what's good about this collection. It was a poem that will stay with me. I found it at time. I think I've used all the adjectives in my bucket that, you know, it's intense and harrowing and, but also kind of like sweet in little moments and pockets and it's kind of uplifting, but then deep, deeply not. I think it's, it's a long poem, but it's not an epic poem. So I think if you take the 10 minutes out of your day to read it, I think you'll find it like disturbing, but also like weirdly charming. And the, you know, the sister relationship is also worth reading into. It didn't even really comment on that, but some of those mm-hmm. descriptions were just, so intense and just erotic, which yep. again, I is uh, there's so much to discuss there anyway. So I think it's worth investment like that. I thought was phenomenal. So the collection is, I think a two for me, it, this reminds me of other poetry collections in the same way, where I think these are more accessible for sure, more than the Keats or maybe the Coleridge that we read um, that have already reviewed. I think it's, you know, at times dense and demanding. I think we covered that well too, but yeah, I think there's a couple of transcendent ones in there and then a couple that I just completely glazed over, which um, at this point I feel like a repetitive kind of poetry review box at this point. That's kind of what I say to most of these, but it's true. I think there were some that struck me and some I'll never, um, ever remember reading. And so, yeah, I feel very comfortable putting it there. How about you, Amanda? What's good about it? What's the rating for today? So I said that um, it's easy to read, um, especially considering that this is Victorian poetry. Um, and there's plenty of themes to choose from uh, in her poetry. So I think that the uh, editors of the Penguin Classics did a pretty good job with trying to showcase her style. But at the same yeah, time, yeah. Um, I thought that they could have 
made it more cohesive in a way. There were just too many themes. If they would have maybe chosen one or two themes to go with, but still showcase her her different, different styles, I think that would have been better because you're just like going from one idea to the next and it's not even in any kind of uh, order necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I, I think yeah. that they could have organized that a little bit better. Um, so I gave it a two. She was okay, a prolific yeah. writer and I did like... Uh, Goblin Market, obviously, and um, those two other poems that I mentioned, um, the mm-hmm. playful one, yeah. the Queen of Hearts, and um, the the other longer one. But um, uh, her writing seems to be, because of, I also noticed the rhyme scheme, um, the, the repetitive nature of the rhyme scheme and the uh, lack of advanced vocabulary. Um, I think that that was on purpose. And I think that some of her poems are meant to be um, for children, almost like for, for readers who are not okay. advanced readers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, which is good because if you don't know poetry, you don't like poetry or you've had bad experiences with poetry, this is a great like introduction or reintroduction to poetry and is not scary, right? It's not going to be overwhelming, um, right. which is, yeah, yeah. which is, a, a another reason why I gave it a two. I would say that I didn't give it a three just because, um, the organization, but also, um, I like Rossetti, but compared to other poets that I've experienced, she's not uh, she's not the person that I would necessarily recommend to somebody who enjoys really enjoys poetry. Yeah, quite quite fair. I think well put, and I agree. It was it's it's dense, but more approachable. Like I had called out Keats and Coleridge before. I think it's far more approachable than those, and has has a lot more to access for someone who's just curious about poetry or maybe, maybe even as you mentioned, the lens you, you analyze it through in your masters, which is like Victorian female poets like that maybe is Mm -hmm. as good a selling point as any. It's, it's a pretty specific selling point granted, but that I think (laughs) is a lens that, yeah, makes it pretty appealing. And yeah, I think um, go read Goblin Market is my takeaway from this. I think that's the perfect two then where you, or at least from in my view where it's like, definitely experience this one thing. It's great. And then, you know, the rest, take or leave. You find that out on your own. Yep. Excellent. Well, hey, thanks and congrats on finishing your first poetry episode. Hopefully that was, uh, that was fun. I know, right? <laughs> See, poetry, after all these years, you still got it. We, we may have forgotten about you in the modern world. We may have just transformed you into musical lyrics and called it a day. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we'll be here for you. Maybe just at Poetry Slams or whatever. But we'll do, we'll do what we can to uphold the tradition. Next week, we've got some short stories coming up from the 1001 Nights, uh, Arabian Nights, I believe. And that is Sindbad the Sailor. So that's excerpts just from one person's stories within that 1001 collection which i believe is quite large so we're only reading a very small snippet of it um so we have that to look forward to next week uh, a bit of a short story change up and until next time we will see you between the classics <laughs>